Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, where you discover diverse wellness modalities, advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. Do you suffer from chronic pain or chronic illness? Have you had it so long you feel like it's a part of your identity? Today's guest is Destiny Winters, and she's here to discuss how you are not your pain and how to validate yourself without creating an identity around your pain. Destiny is a licensed professional counselor and clinician rehabilitation counselor in Atlanta, Georgia. She specializes in helping people with chronic illnesses find joy and meaning in their lives, despite daily persistent physical and emotional pain. Destiny practices through the lens of acceptance and commitment therapy, somatic experiencing, feminist theory, and social justice to help clients learn to advocate for themselves in a system that has largely left them out. Self-care and compassion is at the heart of her work because without it, we cannot do the hard work that's required of us to make big changes in this world. Welcome to the podcast, Destiny. Thank you. Thank you. Can you share with my listeners a little more about yourself and your work? Yeah, so I am in private practice in Atlanta, Georgia, and a lot of my work revolves around helping people, usually within a relationship context, learn how to show up more authentically or more enjoyably in their relationships, um, despite chronic pain, because chronic pain can easily kind of derail a lot of our moods yeah. and the day. So, but how does that yeah. affect relationships that you've seen? And yeah, so it comes up in a couple different ways. Sometimes, oftentimes, what I hear, especially from women, is that they feel like a burden. Um, and I think we could probably go on several tangents about yes. <laughs> why that is. Yeah, it's, you know, we're scared to ask for our needs because we need so much. And so I think it often feels like we're not able to give as much as we need to take. And so what ends up happening is we don't take at all. And we give, 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 despite the fact that we're not really able to. And then we feel really burnt out. We feel really frustrated. And that typically comes out in anger and impatience and isolation, which is the opposite of what we want. Right. Yeah. And I can see that because I understand a lot with the chronic pain and illness because I have that as well. And um, and before this interview, I just took a migraine pill. So hopefully I'll be okay with this interview. I think I'm all right. But yeah, I totally understand how it impacts relationships because then when you're down for the count and you have a partner and some, if they don't have any of these issues, it's hard for them to understand, I think. Exactly. It, it really is hard to understand things that you haven't been through yourself. And so it's really not the fault of anyone else. If you haven't been through it, you just... You just, yeah, exactly. You, you just, just don't, don't know. know. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, and so that's actually what I'm working on right now. Uh, this year, my my whole goal is to get together a course that really helps people, the, the, the person who's dealing with the chronic illness, explain their pain and their illness to their partners better. And also this course would have their partner be a part of that learning process. So that the sole responsibility of educating the partner doesn't fall on the person with a chronic illness. That That's really amazing. Bad. Yeah. That could be so helpful. Yeah. I And right now I have just a couple of freebies people can download uh, off my website if they want it, but just kind of some bullet points on, on how to get you started there. But the course will go a lot more in depth into that because yeah, I think again, the whole, this whole thing is about us oftentimes giving more than we take and really we need the opposite. So 
my goal is to kind of reduce that workload for the person with the chronic illness. It, it can be really hard trying to constantly explain that you're in pain to someone who maybe is like, okay, cool, like you're in pain, but why can't you, you know, still clean the house or why can't you still go to work and then go hang out with your friends after and have a beer and you know do everything that you used to and yeah it's it's difficult to be dealing with that and be confused in your own brain about it like yeah wait why can't i like why is this different and so i think that's a part of why we kind of form such a strong identity around chronic illness because we're just we're trying to learn so much about it it really consumes us for quite a while especially after a diagnosis we're learning the medical jargon we're trying to figure out how to get doctors to listen to us we're trying to understand our pain and our symptoms which can be really confusing that's something that somatic experiencing helps a lot with and yeah we just it's all consuming so we form this identity around the illness so that it, in in a way, forming that identity, that identity makes us feel safer. So, oh, so it makes that. us feel yeah. safer. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like that's a natural response, though, to take on totally. that identity when you're totally focused. Because especially if you're not feeling good and you have all these symptoms and trying to understand. I know I feel like I can relate yeah. to all this, too, and researching, researching and figuring this out and doctor's appointments. And, and it does consume you. It does. And yes, you're right. It is a natural part of the process. And it's okay that that happened. That this, you know, this conversation isn't about helping people never do that. It's about doing it in a way that still allows help for healthy relationships in your life. Because at the end of the day, that's, I really do believe that's all any of us want. Those relationships might look different who we're in relationship with and how we're in relationship with them, but we all want somebody by our side. And so this, you know, what I do is really geared towards helping people be happy in their, in their relationships. Cause I find that that makes people happy in their lives. Yeah. We all need that support and unconditional love. And especially when you're going through a difficult time, it's, it's really mandatory for self-care. Yeah. And that's the thing about self-care, right? We, we put it on ourselves like, Oh, well, you know, if you take better care of yourself, then you will feel better. But really self-care a lot of the times is learning how to bring other people in to that because self-care happens in community. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. You know, all of the things that are required to take care of ourselves, especially when you have a chronic illness, like doctor's appointments, for some people, it's trying all the diets and taking all the supplements on top of medication. And that's a lot for one person to have to keep in their mind to do on the daily. You know, we can create systems and habits and all of these really great things, but it's still a lot to do every single day. And that's why a lot of us, I think, get burnt out with, you know, you could be on the perfect supplement regimen or the perfect diet or the perfect workout routine for, for your particular you know, body. And then all of a sudden, one day you're like, you wake up and you're like, I'm totally unmotivated. And you go three weeks without doing anything. And it's hard to understand why, because you were doing so well before and you actually were feeling better. So you're like, why would I... So now you start, start talking about self-sabotage and blaming yourself. But even if something is making you feel better, it did if, if you're putting all of your energy into it, eventually you're going to crash and burn. And so as we bring more people into our life who can help in various ways, it's not so much, it's not so much weight, like just being held only by us. It's like people get to distribute that weight and hold it. So that everyone's holding just a little bit of it instead of one person holding all of it. And that's a lot more sustainable for your habits. 
Because it's so hard to hold it all yourself. I just imagine someone being held down like that huge weight of that. Yeah, you can you can see it, right? And I think we feel it too, like the weight on our shoulders and the tightness in our chest or on the different like physical body things that start to happen when we're feeling overwhelmed. So what are some other consequences of people taking that identity with chronic pain or illness? I think when you are trying to be in a relationship with somebody friendships, romantic relationships, your family relationships, and all you can talk about is your pain, people get bored. And to be honest, I think we get bored of ourselves too. It's not that talking about these things aren't good or healthy or needed. They are. And we need people in our lives who can listen and be there for us, especially when we're feeling you know, those really low days. But I think you know, as humans, we get really caught up you know, an object in motion stays in motion. And so when we're learning about anything new, whether it's your illness or, you know, as a therapist, if I'm learning a new therapy technique, um, then it's all that I think about. I think that's really common for most of us. And so we just have to be really intentional to kind of divert our attention away from the pain or away from the illness research or away from these things for just a few moments so that we can connect to the people in front of us. And it's not just about making sure the people around us aren't bored or, or irritated. That, that's not what it's about. It's about connection. And part of connecting with other people is showing interest in them, putting we have to find a really good balance between putting our needs first sometimes and putting others' needs first other times and doing that in a really balanced way. Whereas I think sometimes we can get caught up in like an all or nothing mindset where we put our needs completely on the back burner, but now we're resenting everyone around us. So that doesn't cause connection or we put everyone else's needs on the back burner and we can only think about ourselves. And that's that identity piece. If like all you can think about is yourself as a chronically ill person, you there's no room for you to connect with the people around you. And relationships are built in connection. That's so interesting. I like the way you conceptualize that. Just thinking about that, how it, it almost you're almost isolating yourself by taking that on too much. Yeah. And so what does that look like, right? Because if you're in the middle of trying to figure all this out, of course, you're doing all the research, you're trying to find new medicines, new doctors, new, new things to make you feel better. And so a part of it is really just taking the time to sit back and observe when you start to go into learning mode. Typically, what I see with clients and even myself in the past, as soon as you start to feel anxious about your illness or about where your life is going or anything really, it's so easy to go into information gathering mode. So we start going online, we start researching more, we start trying to get knowledge because if we're learning, we're not feeling. And so really that like rat race to find all the information is just oftentimes an avoidance strategy. It's necessary and it's needed, right? Our our research that we do, you know, all all the Googling we do at 2am when we can't sleep definitely can be really helpful when you're going to your doctor and they actually don't know as much as they should about your illness and you really do know more and that can save your life. So it's important to know like everything we're talking about here, it's not about right or wrong, good or bad, do this or don't do this. It's about balance. And it's, can you start to feel in your body when you're feeling anxious? And is this research rabbit hole going to bring you closer to your goal? Or is it going to bring you further away from your goal? That's where acceptance and commitment therapy is really good at 
conceptualizing all this, you know, within the, we call it act, within the act framework, we're always thinking about, are you moving away from something or towards something? So if I'm researching to move away from my anxiety, then that research probably isn't going to lead to desired goals very often. Sometimes, of course. But whereas if I'm moving toward something, like I'm actually, I'm moving toward uh, balance or I'm moving toward trying to find a specific answer. Like I'm feeling I'm in a good space and I'm just trying to improve something here rather than move away from anxiety. I know it's a subtle difference there, but it is a, it is a strong difference too. When you're moving toward something you want, the outcome is going to be filled with a lot less tension, a lot less anxiety, and it's going to be something that can help bring you closer to the people around you rather than further away. So if you have questions about that, let me know. I, I know yeah, it's no. kind of big. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like a lot of what you teach too is about trying to be connected and developing that community of support. Yes. And something else within the ACT framework is values. And so this, you always have to know who you're talking to. We all have our own set of values. For me, connection and community is my top value because for my own life, I know that without community, I feel that's when I start to really feel anxious or insecure or hopeless. All of these things start to come up when I've gone too long without being in connection with other people. So I've learned again, you know, to go back to what I was just explaining about moving away from or moving towards in order to not feel anxious. So, so I used to feel very insecure, even when I was around people, you know, I was always worried about what people were thinking about me or how I was, you know, showing up in the room and that kept me from being in connection with other people. So I would often isolate at home. I wouldn't go out. Um, you know, I wouldn't speak up in class like an undergrad. So I was constantly moving away from connection because I had so much anxiety around connection. So the thing that I wanted the most, I couldn't get because of my anxiety. Whereas when I started to accept the feelings that come along with anxiety and let them be in my body and not fight them so hard, that's when I was able to move toward connection. The anxiety was still there. I think that's really important here is it's not about erasing pain and mental anguish. It's about living with it and knowing that these thoughts, feelings, and emotions, negative thoughts, feelings, and emotions are a part of life. And if you sit with them long enough, they move through you. They don't stay and they don't get worse unless we do these kind of avoidance strategies like we isolate or we move away from what's important to us. But if we keep moving toward what's important for, to us, for me, that's community and connection. The anxiety does start to dissipate on its own without me even trying to. And I think that that's the hardest thing, right? To accept that and to allow yourself just to accept that you have this chronic pain or illness and, and anxiety or whatever emo negative emotion. That's the hardest part, isn't it? It's hard. And I think it's hard because we really have been sold a lie in marketing. Everything is about how you fix a problem or solve a problem or move away from pain. And so in our society, which is filled with marketing everywhere, we are always, we're always being taught that you need to move away from pain. And if you're not trying to move away from pain, you're a failure, you're a quitter, you're doing something wrong. You're not trying hard enough. So we keep trying to move away from pain. But the problem is the more we do that for some of us, most of us, the pain boomerangs back. Absolutely. 
And it builds up, doesn't it, too? And we, especially with emotions, if we're not dealing with them. Exactly. Yeah. It comes out in another way. (laughs) Yeah. And for, yeah, for those of us with chronic pain, I think a lot of our pain is a result of suppressed emotion. And that's, that's not our fault. And we're not even aware of it half the time. So, you know, not everybody who suppresses emotions gets chronic physical pain, but there is something in their life that happens that is maladaptive, is, is not, helpful to them. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So how can pe- listeners that might have chronic pain or illness validate themselves and not take on that identity? Yeah, it's a good question. So part of this is learning how to sit, sit back and observe and not make so much meaning out of what's happening to us. I think we go really, really quick into, again, I'm in pain. That means I'm doing something wrong or I'm in pain. That means this is only going to get worse. Right. And so when we can sit back and say, I'm in pain and that pain just is, there's no, there's no thing to say after that. It's just, I'm in pain today. There's no judgment. There's no analysis or in other words, meaning making. It just is. We really have to learn how to be okay with the fact that pain is a normal part of life. And when you're dealing with chronic pain and you've been dealing with it for so long, that can be a really scary, scary place to start. Yes, Um, definitely. Yeah. Because we've seen our pain get worse, right? But when you start to practice this, this heightened level of acceptance, you may feel an increase in pain at the beginning because even though our pain is all we think about all the time, it's also, we're not really thinking about our pain and trying to observe it. We're thinking about how do we get rid of it? So we're constantly pushing it down further and further into our bodies even though what we really want is to... So there's there's a difference between thinking about it and ruminating and trying to figure out how to make it go away versus sitting with it and observing it. So one thing you can do is as you're thinking about your pain, can you think about it as a physical object? So right now, if I have some sensations happening in my low back and this is something that I have chronic pain with, then I might immediately go from, I feel a sensation in my low back to in literally two seconds. Now my brain says, my back hurts. I need to go lay down. I can't do this. I can't finish cleaning my kitchen. I can't finish. I can't go on that hike with my friends. I can't... Like We immediately go from zero to 60 because of our experiences. I want to really be clear that it's not about fault or like you just need to change your mindset. I mean, this is a very normal, natural thing that happens as a result of our pain getting worse over the years. But again, if you can kind of take a step back and say, okay, I feel a sensation in my back. This usually turns into pain, but right now I'm just going to stay in this moment. This moment is... And one way to stay in the moment is, can you think about this thing as an object? So if it's... um if it's like a ball, how, if you were to actually, let's do a little experiment. If you were to pick up something, anything on your desk, Chris, um, yeah. it could be your mug, it could be whatever. Can you just kind of start to describe to me what you feel with whatever you pick up? I have my pen in my hand and it's smooth and soft. And one part's really soft. One part is more smooth. The top part is cool. It's very light great descriptor words. Yeah. Um, and so we want to do this with our pain too. Can you, can you pinpoint the pain in your body and say, okay, this pain is, it could be a light pain, but sharp and stabby, you know, or it can be really dull and achy and really heavy. Um, it can be a really small 
pin pin prick in your body, or it can be the size of a bowling ball in your stomach, you know? And so we want to slow down the experience and give the experience time to tell us what's happening rather than letting our brain take over and say, this is what's always happened in the past. So this is what's happening right now. Cause that might not be the case. It sounds like just bringing that mindful awareness to what's happening right now instead of jumping ahead. It's a big part of this work. And it's not, I think what's important is that a lot of times mindfulness gets used as a way to feel better. And this isn't about feeling better. This is about feeling more accurately. So feeling more accurately. And I just want to backtrack to what you said with, I'm starting to feel pain and I blame myself. And I just have a big connection with that. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that a lot of other listeners too, because I feel like when I have pain, it does come up that, oh my God, what did I do? Did I work out too hard? Did I walk too far? As always that instead of saying like what you said, it just is. I wrote that down. Yeah, it's true. Thank you for that. I think that could be so helpful for everyone that has some chronic issues. I hope so. I know it's been instrumental for me. I mean, even if even if I am in extra pain because, you know, I ate something that I shouldn't have or I exercised too much, like I was going to say, how is it helpful? But I do know how it's helpful to start to tell, like blame yourself for your pain. It's helpful because it, well, it makes us think like, okay, if we blame ourselves, one, no one else can blame us. We might be used to that in our relationship. Someone else saying you did this wrong. And so part of it is taking that on before anybody else can do it to us. And the other part of it is, well, if I, if I pinpoint what went wrong, then I know not to do it again in the future. But that if you look back at your experiences, you'll find that all of the things that supposedly make our pain worse are all of the things we love. Gluten, dairy, you know, inflammatory <laughs> foods, um, hiking with friends or even doing yoga. I know for me, that's always caused some kind of flare up every time I've tried. It's just important to recognize that sometimes pain just happens. And it's actually, it's interesting. Um, I have a four month old daughter. And so we just passed the point of all of the digestion stuff that comes with a newborn. And oh boy, if it if that didn't flare up for me every single day in the last four months of what did we feed her? Is it this formula or is it my breast milk? Or is it, you know, she didn't get enough movement today, didn't get enough tummy time. Like there's always something. Right. <laughs> the doctors, like the doctors just say, they'll grow out of it. And you're so frustrated because you just feel like, wait, no, this can't be normal. This can't be okay. This has to be something like, you're, you mean to tell me like, Babies are just like in pain for the first three, four months of their their life, and there's just nothing we can do about it. That's such a heartbreaking yeah. thing to think about. So Absolutely. our mind goes into like, no, that's not that's not. These doctors are dismissive. They don't know anything. I know more, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go and and do you know I'm gonna be able to fix this. And looking back at the last four months, I'm I'm glad I know what I know because I didn't miss the beautiful times with that a newborn has to give you. But I know a lot of I know a lot of us do because we're so all consumed with whatever's going wrong. And again, looking back, I I realized that yes, like her she had extra gas when she was eating dairy. And if gassy bubbles in your belly is the worst pain you've ever felt in your life because you're four months old and you've never known worse, then yeah, you're gonna be screaming. And that's okay. You're going to you're going to scream about it, you're going to cry about it, you're going to get that out and after that's out and the gas has passed, 
you're good. Like she could go from screaming to being okay. in like two seconds flat. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it just really, it puts into perspective for you. Like pain is normal. Pain is okay. It just is. It just is. That's my new mantra. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That's so helpful. I think that's a good takeaway for people listening as well. And as they work with clients that might be experiencing this, I think it's, it's really important not to get caught up in the story of it and the identity. Yeah. And I, you know, it's not to be mistaken with like, you just shouldn't do anything. Again, like our research rabbit holes can be helpful. They can be important. Anxiety drives us. It, it should drive us. But when it goes into overdrive, well, now we're just like running on fumes and we're not actually being productive in our pursuits. We're just we're just ruminating. And so it's about finding the balance. And that's where some of the mindfulness techniques come in. And, you know, in somatic experiencing, it's all about the sensations and the images that pop up in your mind and in your body. And it's also about, it's not just about like visualizing or feeling in your body. It's also about learning your rhythms. We all have rhythms. The earth has rhythms. Each month has a rhythm. Rhythms and cycles are really, really important to learn here in the concept of chronic illness, because when you realize that everything comes in a cycle instead of like this linear approach that we all kind of see like, oh, pain gets better or it gets worse. Well, no, it's cyclical. It gets better and then it gets worse and then it gets better and it gets worse. And so if we're thinking about who we are and like getting caught up in our pain as identity, one thing that might help is being able to figure out which part of your rhythm that you're in, which part of the cycle that you're in. If you think about the four seasons of a year, everything is cold and dies in the winter. That is a necessary process. If you think about farmers who rely on food to you know, sell for their own livelihood, you would think winter would be the worst part of the year. For, and for a lot of them, it is. But actually, when you're able to take a step back and realize that we're not supposed to be productive 100% of the time, we're supposed to be productive during certain parts of our cycles, then you can prepare for the winter in a totally different way. You're going to prepare for rest. You're going to take your excess from the summer and put it towards the winter. So as a farmer, you're going to be canning your food and preserving your food um, so that when you can't grow your food, you still have something to eat. And that's what it's like for us within our identity is when you're in a flare-up, that's not the time to try to pretend like you know you don't have an illness and make sure no one around you knows you're sick and don't talk about it because it's, you know, I don't want to be annoying. No, that's a time to reach out to your support system and say, I'm really struggling right now. But what's equally important is when you're feeling really good that you reach out to your support system and say, How can I help you? What can I do for you right now? And how can we just connect? Can we just have a fun date this week? Because that's the piece I think a lot of us miss. We, we go into our identity and we're so consumed by it because it's a scary place to live in and we're trying to survive. When we can recognize that the, it comes in cycles and it's not permanent, then we can move into that connection mode. We can actually stay in connection all the time, even when we're staying in connection all the time. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I think that that's so helpful, too, to say that when you're feeling better to ask, how how can I help you to really put that into play, too? And I just want to backtrack, too, on something else you said about just keeping it to yourself, because I wonder if that's a part for a lot of people that just hiding the pain. Is that what you've seen with clients as well? Yeah, we hide the pain because, again, there's so much shame wrapped up in it, even if. Even if you don't think it's your fault, 
there's still shame because society just doesn't value society values like super strong, super productive money making, like what, you know, this is what our society really looks highly upon. And so there's just a lot of shame in being one of those flare ups and and being not productive and, and all of that. And so we hide it. But the problem is you can only hide so much. And then that pushing it down of the emotions that happen when you're trying, like when you're in a flare up and you're trying to hide it, you also have to hide the emotions that come along with it. And when you do that, eventually it bubbles up and you will feel resentful towards the people around you. Even if they have no idea that you're going through all this because you hit it so well, we still will resent them. And then when we are feeling good, we won't reach out in a way that's connecting. We might reach out in a way that still holds some of that bitterness and that resentment. And we're never really like forming healthy relationships. Wow, that's so powerful. And good message for everybody to remember too, that experiences the chronic pain or illness. So I know you mentioned in your bio that you self-compassion. How do you use it with chronic pain and illness? Self-compassion is one of those things that it sounds so simple, but it's also really hard to wrap your head around because there's so many layers to trying to be self-compassionate. When you're in a pain flare-up, again, you might feel like it's your fault. You might feel like maybe even if you know it's not your fault, but you just but you still feel broken or you still feel like something is wrong with you. That's where I start to go into more of a social justice theory here and, and start to look at society and the way that society looks at people with chronic pain, with disability, with chronic illness. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier is like people deem us as incapable or if we are incapable of doing a certain thing, people deem us as unworthy. And so what we're trying to work on with self-compassion is how do we find where we feel worthy? It's not about forcing yourself to believe a certain thing. It's not about like saying affirmations like I am worthy, I am good. No, that won't that won't do anything if we don't believe it. And so Exactly. Yeah, we have to we have to get to a place of like, okay, maybe I don't believe I'm fully worthy, but like what's one thing that I know I whether it's something you know you like about yourself or something that you do feel worthy about. So, you know, I'm feeling I'm in a flare up right now and I can't clean my house, but I do know that I'm a really great listener and I enjoy listening to other people. So I'm going to call a friend who and ask them about themselves and also talk, talk equally about yourself too. It's not just one or the other. There's, there should be balance here. But the point is to find something that you know you're good at and, and engage in that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's helpful because... I think most people could find something that's worth they're worthy of or something they're good at. Yeah. And to really connect with that. So I guess, is there any other takeaway you want to share today that could help listeners who might be just dealing with these issues and struggling with chronic pain and illness? I think the biggest thing in learning how to kind of bring a well-roundedness back to your life is to really pause just several times a day, figure out where you can pause for just a moment and notice your thoughts, notice your breath, notice your body movements, just notice without judging. And if you do find yourself judging, because that's a habit of for many of us, then take a step back and say, okay, I'm judging. Notice that I'm judging. Notice that I'm feeling, thinking, and behaving in a certain way. And then we ask ourselves, is this in alignment with my values? Values are not about goals. Values are about like how you show up. 
So I might not be able to go hiking with my friends. But if I value connection, then I might pick up the phone and call, which for us millennials is like a, a sin these days. You don't, <laughs> you don't call, you text. Right. Um, but I have found, I found especially during COVID that face, you know, the whole pandemic, the FaceTime and calling was outside of my comfort zone and desperately needed. Absolutely. So true. Well, what's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at the.chronicillnesstherapist.com. My website is thechronicillnesstherapist.com. And I have a podcast, The Chronic Illness Therapist. So that makes it really easy to find me. And yeah, like I said, I have a couple freebie like email list work, um, ebooks for people uh, regarding kind of how to help your partner understand you better. And there's one for the partner and there's one for you. So definitely check that out and, and feel free to contact me at any of those on any yeah, of those platforms. that's great. But thanks for coming on to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, Destiny. Thanks for having me. And for our listeners, be sure to visit us and check out our new website at www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com to access our show notes and all of our episodes. And are you loving this podcast? Please show us your love back by giving us five-star review so we can continue to build our holistic community. This is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. Thank you for listening and supporting the Holistic Counseling Podcast. If you are loving this podcast, please share with your colleagues so we can continue to grow our holistic community. Also, are you ready to take the next step to create an integrative counseling practice? I invite you to sign up for my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, you'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, and how to manifest your dream practice. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com Scroll down and enter your name and email address today. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.